to the very, very first book choice show for 2024. We made it. We made it into a new year. My name is Paige Nick. I'm your host on this show, and we'll be joining you twice a month, every month for the whole year to bring you an hour of books and fine music and tell you what's happening on the shelves of your local bookstores this year so that you can cherry pick your favorite titles or the titles that excite you and know what to put on your bookshelf. Today is our Publisher's Choice Edition, which means we're joined by three of South Africa's top publishing houses, as well as South Africa's biggest favorite bookseller. And each of these publishers and this bookseller get a segment, and they're going to tell us what they've got coming out in January and February, and what you can look out for, and some of their favorite reads. They also bring author interviews, uh, information on big launches that are happening in your area in the next couple of months. So stay tuned. Uh, we're very excited to welcome the Jonathan Ball publishing team, the Pam McMillan publishing team, and the Penguin Random House publishing team to the show, as well as exclusive books, of course. So, you know, since it's New Year, we probably all have these resolutions. We all want to eat better. We want to exercise more. We want to sleep better. And maybe you have a reading resolution as well. Perhaps you've decided you want to read more fiction. Maybe you want to read more nonfiction, or maybe it doesn't matter whether it's fiction or nonfiction. You just want to read more and you want to read really great stuff. Well, we've got you covered. Have no fear. You're tuned into the right dial. We've got enough options here, enough ideas, enough great titles to whet your appetite. There has to be something here for you. So I've decided this month or this first show of the year, we're going to start off with the Jonathan Ball publishing team, because as I was talking about resolutions, you know, we want to eat better, sleep better, read better. Jonathan Ball are um, sharing with us an interview with an author of a new book about how to sleep better. So that felt like an appropriate way to start the show. I want to welcome the Jonathan Ball publishing team to the show. Let's hear all about it. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks so much, Paige, and a warm welcome to all the fine music radio listeners. My name is Jean-Marie Korf, and I'm the publicity manager at Jonathan Ball Publishers. I'm so honored to welcome to the show today one of our esteemed authors, Dr. Michael Mosley. Dr. Mosley is a British journalist, producer, and TV presenter, and is known for books such as The Fast 800 Diet, the Clever Gut, and the Eight-Week Blood Sugar Diet. He's here today to tell us more about his new book titled Four Weeks to Better Sleep, which is hitting shelves across South Africa this week. Welcome, Dr. Mosley, and thank you very much for joining us. Absolute pleasure to be with you. Um, let's jump right into it. What made you decide to write about sleep? Well, I have been something of a chronic insomniac now for about 20 years. So I used to be a really good sleeper when I was young. I could sleep anywhere. I remember once sleeping in a uh, telephone uh, kiosk in a box. I also slept on a railway platform on one occasion. But then when I hit my 40s, um, I got very busy at work. I had young children and um, I started to sleep quite badly. My problem is that I wake up in the middle of the night about three in the morning and often struggle to go back to sleep. So I wanted to find out more about sleep, about insomnia, and also what I could do about it, which is why I set out to write this book. Okay, and thank you so much. And in your book, you say that not so long ago it was fashionable that, or to brag, it was fashionable to brag that you hardly slept at all. And it was the mark of a successful business person to get by on very little sleep. And while people have more access to information these days, uh, there are still many workplace environments and cultures who champion the there's plenty of time to sleep when you are dead attitude. How much has this perspective really changed in your opinion? And more importantly, how do we change it? I think that it has changed a lot, but there are still a great number of people who don't really recognize the impact that poor sleep is having on them. And these are typically people in their 20s and 30s, also teenagers, because 
they have so many other distractions. There's always social media to look at or emails to scroll through or something like that. And those are real enemies of sleep. And so while they recognize that they may be feeling tired the next day, uh, they use caffeine and other stimulants to try and wake them up and stir them into life. So I think people have recognized uh, the widespread damage that poor sleep does to you, but they still haven't wholly embraced it so that an awful lot of people still get by on too little sleep. And as I said, they use stimulants to try and compensate for that. And that really doesn't work. It works in the short term, but in the long term, you still get the damaging effects of sleep deprivation. Yes, definitely. And, and how can, I mean, how do we as people, how can we tell if we're getting enough sleep or not? Right. So broadly speaking, the rule is try to get somewhere between, you know, seven to eight hours, something like that. But the real key is, do you feel terrible when you wake up? Do you feel really sleepy? Uh, do you fall asleep during the day? Do you perhaps fall asleep when you're watching television in the evening? Do you feel it's impairing your life? There is actually a test you can do where you try and uh, lie down um, on your bed in the middle of the afternoon and you set the alarm clock for 15 minutes time and you close your eyes and does the alarm clock wake you up? And if you fall asleep within 10 minutes of lying down in the afternoon, then that is actually quite a bad sign. That would suggest that you're not getting enough sleep. 15 minutes is fine. 20 minutes um, suggests that you're probably okay. But the best measure of whether you're getting enough sleep really is how tired you feel during the day. Okay, and, and I mean, in terms of what you can do or what a person can do to get that good night's sleep, you know, what sort of tips um, do you address or do you have uh, for people who is trying to get a better night's sleep? Sure. So the book is based on the latest science, and indeed um, I recently took part in a clinical trial in Australia where we took 30 people who slept very badly, and I was one of them, and we diagnosed their problems and then helped them sort them out. So in at least in part, you need to start by deciding what is your problem. Um, a lot of people have what's called sleep apnea, uh, which is a form of sort of snoring. Snoring is very common, but um, when it gets worse, when your tongue starts to block your airways, you might stop breathing during the night. And the only real way you know about that is perhaps your partner notices that you go and then you stop breathing for a while. So something like sleep apnea is um, you need to go and see a doctor because that is quite a serious condition and is best treated uh, with um, different devices. But that can be a serious cause um, of poor sleep. And then are you a sort of insomniac who finds it difficult to go to sleep or are you someone like me uh, who wakes up in the middle of the night? And each of those conditions has something different that you can do to treat it. But broadly speaking, what you should aim to do is try to go to bed at the same time every night and get up at the same time every morning because that is your body loves regularity. And beyond that, uh, there's something called sleep hygiene where you try to ensure that your bedroom is quiet, it's dark. Maybe you need to wear um, some eye shades or something to prevent the light getting in. And you do need to put aside your devices, uh, your uh, you know social media and things like that. Ideally, do not have the phone by your bed. Keep it some distance away. And then beyond that, in the book, I go into a lot of detail about the sort of things that really have been shown to improve sleep and which indeed have improved my own sleep. Okay, and obviously we're in January at the moment and everyone, I'm sure everyone has set some health goals or New Year's resolutions as one does for 2024. Um, my favorite chapter in your book is definitely eating your way to a good night's sleep. Can you maybe tell us how what we eat influences how we sleep? Absolutely. So I'm a huge fan of what I would describe as the Mediterranean diet. And uh, by that, I mean a diet which is rich in oily fish and also vegetables and legumes, which are sort of beans and uh, lentils and things like that. And it has some 
alcohol, some red wine in it, not very much. Um, and it also has plenty of whole grains and not so much in the way of sort of sugary uh, junk food. And that is the sort of traditional diet of the Mediterranean, not so much as it um, these days. And that one is associated with slower, deeper sleep. Uh, we know from studies that uh, if you eat uh, foods which are richer in fiber and which also have a decent amount of protein, which you get from things like oily fish, uh, then that's associated with deeper sleep, better sleep. Uh, whereas if you eat a lot of very sort of carby foods, particularly those uh, which are full of sort of sugary um, and junk food, uh, then unfortunately that leads to lighter sleep. Um, alcohol, uh, if you drink it close to bedtime, that can interfere with your sleep and obviously smoking will do that. And one of the things I suggest people try to do, particularly if they uh, struggle with their sleep, is to avoid eating and drinking uh, within a couple of hours of going to bed because your body needs time to relax and it doesn't want to be busy digesting food in the middle of the night. So there are lots of uh, recipes in the book as well and suggestions as to how you can change your diet to improve your sleep. Thank you so much for that. Um, just lastly, before I let you go, um, you launched a new podcast series recently called Just One Thing. Can you maybe just tell us a bit more about that and where people can listen to that if they would like more information on any of your books and everything you are researching at the moment? Absolutely. So uh, the Just One Thing podcast is based on the idea that um, here's just one thing you can try. And that might be, for example, having a cold shower. I have a 30-second cold shower most mornings. And uh, I look into the health benefits of that with an expert. And another thing might be eating more fermented foods like sauerkraut. And I look into the science of that. So each of these things, if you like is something that's easy and simple to do and which you can readily incorporate into your life and which has some very good science behind it. So if you want to find out more about that or where you can listen to it, it's available on pretty well anywhere you get your podcast from. Uh, I also have produced a book based on uh, the podcast series, which is very popular. And if you want to find out more, you can go and visit my website, which is michaelmosley.co.uk or you can also follow me on Twitter at Dr. Michael Mosley. Thank you so much, Dr. Mosley, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. That was fantastic and incredibly interesting. Um, you know, Jonathan Ball have been publishing and distributing non-fiction and fiction here in South Africa since 1976. Specifically, they specialize in local nonfiction titles. So there's always something interesting on their shelves and on their minds. We're so grateful to have them here. If you want to keep up with Jonathan Ball's latest book news, their event updates, their new releases, of course, you can visit jonathanball.co.za. And as I always suggest on the show, you can also follow them on their social media. Jonathan Ball are very active on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok. And I like to mention this because I really enjoy it. Jonathan Ball also have a podcast, which is called Pagecast. And on it, they bring you the story behind the story. So that can give you a chance to delve deeper into projects, their authors, their books they publish. For me, I think it's a really wonderful podcast and I make sure to listen to it regularly. So you can find it wherever you stream your podcasts. And as a reminder, it's called Pagecast. Before we meet our next publisher, how about some very fine music here on Fine Music Radio? This is Darling, It's Wonderful by Virginia Lee. Darling, it's wonderful to be in love with you. So wonderful 
Welcome back. You're tuned into Book Choice, Publishers Choice on Fine Music Radio for our very first show of 2024. Next up, our next publisher is Viz Chetty from Penguin Random House, South Africa. And Viz is going to take us through their latest stack of books. Now, Viz has a huge job. Viz is the sales manager at Penguin Random House. So that includes uh, managing sales into all your outlets as well as managing production of all the books. That's everything from paper selection to printing and cover design and all that kind of stuff. Viz also works on all their marketing campaigns and on all their launches. So it's kind of miraculous that Viz has the time to come and chat to us about books every month. Uh, We're so glad you're here, Viz. You know, when Viz raves about a book, you know he means it. He really knows his stuff. Welcome to the show, Viz. Hello, FMR listeners, and hello, Paige. Thanks for having me back on the show. This is the JanFeb publications, some of the bigger ones that are coming out. We've got a great list for 2024. Uh, it's hard to say that already. And um, I think going into the new year when you know we all come back in Jan and February, I'm going to give you so much more insight into what Penguin Random House has in store for 2024. And it's going to be a wonderful year of publishing as it was in 2023. So first off, I want to start off with a book that's out now, actually. It's called Most Secret Memory of Men. It's by an author called Mohammed Ogasa. He's a Senegalese writer, and he's moved to France to uh, pursue his studies in arts and languages. Um, he's authored three novels to date. This book, The Most Secret Memory of Men, has quickly become a PRH uh, favorite in-house, and I think you know you guys would love reading this one. So what it is, it's a literary mystery. Uh, it's a really gripping one, and it follows a young man who is a writer, and he um, he learns of a lost 1930s novel, who was also written by an author, a Senegalese author. And this author wrote this book, and shortly after disappeared uh, after its publication. And this young writer becomes quite obsessed with finding out exactly what happened and finding out, you know, what became of this writer. Um, So this suppressed book has legendary status among his circle of black artists and intellectuals. And he himself is sort of bruised. He's written a book and he's sort of bruised by the lukewarm reception of his his own first publication. Uh, And he's he's sort of searching for inspiration for his second. And this takes him uh, on a journey, an emotional, political, tense journey that will range from, you know, go from Amsterdam to Dakar to Buenos Aires via conversations, letters, book reviews, and oral histories. Um, and this sort of tells the stories of several generations that has been covered. Uh, so it's really fascinating mystery uh, novel. I think it's written beautifully well. He's already achieved major awards for this book, including the pre-Concord Award, and he's only won this at 31, one of the youngest authors, or probably the youngest author, sorry, uh, to win this award. And the first writer from sub-Saharan Africa to win uh, France's oldest and prestigious literary prize. So look out for that one. Most Secret Memory of Men. The author is Mohammed Bogasa. 
Right. And then the next one I'm going to go through is um, we've all seen the Netflix uh, documentary. Uh, if you haven't, you should have a look at it. It's Jonah Hill sort of interviewing his psychiatrist, Phil Stutz. Now, this book, Lessons for Living by Phil Stutz, uh, is a sort of personal development of psychology, uh, you know, tools for life sort of book. It contains essays of which there are 30 essays, and it sort of cuts through the messiness of life to help you Get the Good from the Bad by now famous Phil uh, Stutz. You know, it covers a whole range of issues that we all face and we all uh, deal with. So it's a really fascinating book if you're in the market for something, self-help, personal development. He's a he's a wonderful, wonderful author and he's done um, has some great work so far. And this book sort of uh, encompasses all that into one. So it basically what it does, it explains the general concepts and the five specific practices that Stutz himself employs in treatment. It addresses real-world circumstances, such as the needs of children rising above, things like envy, defeating your bad habits, positive side of anger, and facing insecurities. And it basically offers a new way to think about life itself. So wonderful new book by Full Stutz in the personal development psychology uh, market. That's that's one to go for. Right. The next one is a work of fiction, um, edited by the great Margaret Atwood and Douglas Preston. This book, you know, you probably have heard of it somewhere along the line because it, it kept getting postponed. It was initially set out uh, during the lockdown where the story is actually set. And uh, in it, she has different chapters, which is written by different authors. And I'll go through the list now. And it's a fantastic bunch of authors that she's managed to rein into this project. Each of them have contributed to the book chapter by chapter. And it's wonderful. So it's a week into lockdown. The sirens and ambulances are filling the night. The superintendent of a tenement building on the Lower East Side of New York notices that the tenants have begun to gather up on the rooftop. A couch appears, potted plant appears, somebody else sets a six-pack in the middle of the space, and then the superintendent says, you know, what if we put away our phones? Some folks even begin to talk to each other. Some folks might even begin to talk to each other and tell stories, which is where this goes. And then they do this every night. So with each passing night, more and more neighbors gather, bringing, they bring in chairs, they bring in milk crates and overturned bins. Gradually, all the tenants of this building, some of whom have barely spoken to each other, become friends and real neighbors. It's a beautiful ode to the people who couldn't get away from the city when the pandemic hit. A dazzling, heartwarming collection. 14 days reveals how um, beneath the loss and suffering some communities managed to pull together and become stronger. Uh, there is an unusual twist in, in the tale, which I'm obviously not going to go into. I just wanted to quickly give you an idea of the contributing artists on this great project, this great book. It's uh, Celeste Nguy, Emma Donahue, Dave Eggers, John Grisham, Tess Gerritsen, Meg Wallitzer, James Shapiro, Sylvia Day, Monique Trong, Neil Gaiman, Scott Turo, Tommy Orange, and as much more. So look out for that one. The book is called 14 Stories. It is edited and pulled together by uh, Margaret Atwood and Douglas Preston, and that will be out in Jan. Brilliant book. The next one is a very exciting one. I may have spoken about it on the show, but I just wanted to remind you because it's such a big publication for us. Uh, Alex Michelides has written a new book called The Fury. If you remember him, he wrote a book called The Silent Patient, which took the world by storm. Everybody in the reading circle loved it. It was a great thriller, well written, well put together. He's now back with a new one. This book is set on a, a little island just off the coast of uh, Mykonos. So it's another island close to the island of Mykonos in Greece. And this very famous celebrity invites friends to come onto the island for the Easter weekend. The book is split up into five acts. At the end of the first act, someone is murdered on the island. There are only seven people on this island. So the suspects are short and that's where the story goes. And the narrator of the story, he's actually on the island as well. And slowly but surely he peels back the layers of who had committed this murder throughout the book. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful laid out book. I think if you're in the mood for a good classy thriller, The Fury by Alex Michelides is coming in February. That's one to watch out for. The next one is a nonfiction book, Maria's Keepers. It's a local publication. It is about a young woman who uh, has faced tremendous, tremendous abuse by the South African chapter of the Jehovah's Witness uh, Church. Um, she's now, it's it's written in a non-fiction style, but this is her account. Names have been changed, but it's a gripping account of her terrible ordeal in the church, growing up in the church and the abuse that she faced. The book is called Maria's Keepers. It's by our author Sam Human, who also wrote Speak No Evil. So it's a, it's a wonderful book to pick up as well. If you like uh, books like Mission of Malice, then you probably uh, would enjoy this. And then the last one, 
is also a non-fiction book. Uh, you can see this time of year, January, lots of uh, non-fiction tends to come out, and that's why the list is so non-fiction heavy, but um, I'll bring you more fiction in the months to come. This last book is called Six Disciplines of Strategic Thinking by Michael D. Watkins. That name might be familiar to you because he wrote a book called The First 90 Days, which was a wonderful, wonderful book. It's been going for a long, long time now. People loved it and they, you know, sort of become almost a, a Bible for entrepreneurs uh, having that book in their collection. So the six disciplines of strategic thinking will demystify the art of strategic thinking. You'll break it down into the six principles, each one with their own, and he sort of tells stories in between. So just to help us understand. So I think it's a really, really wonderful book if you are into business, if you are into entrepreneurship, it's a, it's a great book to have. One of them is, one of the six principles is pattern recognition, for example. And what is pattern recognition? It's the ability to observe complex, uncertain, ambiguous, volatile environments, rapidly identifying what it what is and what isn't important, and then identifying potential threats and opportunities that may bring. So that's just an example of one of the six principles. So Michael D. Watkins, The Six Disciplines of Strategic Thinking, uh, is a big one coming early next year as well. And with that, that's my show for today. I will be back next month. I've got so many more to talk about in 2024. We are going to have a great year in books. So stay tuned and uh, stay close. I will be back next month. Thank you very, very much. Thank you so much to Viz and the Penguin Random House team for your always fantastic selection of books for our listeners to choose from. As with the other publishers, if you need more info on any of their titles, especially the ones Viz mentioned, but, you know, they've also got shelves and shelves of other books. So you can visit their website, which is penguinrandomhouse.co.za, or you can also follow them on social media. Just look online wherever you hang out for your social media, and you'll find them under Penguin Random House, South Africa. You're tuned into Book Choice, Publisher's Choice on Fine Music Radio with me, your host, Paige Nick, for our very first book choice for 2024. I'm super excited for what this year is going to bring us in books. Before we move on to our next segment, let's play a little bit more fine music. This is Penny Whistle Quella by Annika de Villiers Doozy. the show. 
My name is Paige Nick, and you're tuned into Book Choice, Publisher's Choice. How about some more book suggestions now? This time from Pan Macmillan. The Pan Macmillan publishing team always has a massive selection of titles. They publish a lot of local fiction and nonfiction, but they also import quite a lot of international fiction onto our shelves. So let's hear what they've got for us. Today we welcome Shakti Pillay to the show. Shakti works at Pan Macmillan, she's their publicist, and she always has some fantastic selections to work through. Happy New Year, Shakti, and welcome to the show. Hi, everyone, and a happy new year to you and your families. To kickstart Pan Macmillan's segment today, we thought that we would host a session where we bring an author into focus to get to know the person behind the proverbial pen and ask them a few questions about their book and the inspirations that brought it into fruition. Joining me today is Arthur Goldstuck, the author of the newly released The Hitchhiker's Guide to AI, which has been bubbling over with reviews, excitement, and intrigue. AI is the buzzword of the hour. It has quite accurately become everything, everywhere, and all at once. Many of you listening may know Arthur from his weekly columns in The Citizen and Business Times, where he spotlights the latest news in tech, artificial intelligence, and gadgets. Arthur is an award-winning writer, author, analyst, and technology commentator. He is also the founder of Worldwide Works, South Africa's leading independent technology market research organization. And The Hitchhiker's Guide to AI marks his 20th book. Arthur, thank you for joining us for this segment. Thank you, Shakti. It's great to be with you. So let's start. Where did your fascination for AI and technology stem from? It really goes back to when I was a child growing up in a very small town in the Southern Free State and being, for some reason, a big science fiction fan And my only escape from the isolation of that small place was reading every science fiction novel on the shelves before I was 10 years old, on the shelves of the local public library, that is, which was very tiny. But that gave me a thirst for the future and for a world in which all those science fiction dreams and visions were possible. And that ultimately led me into a career as a technology journalist which in turn led to me writing my first IT book, which was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Internet. And uh, that really propelled me on a career of covering the latest in technology for the next 25 years. And the AI revolution, which has been building up for the past decade, was a natural for my next book. That's lovely. Thank you. Why was writing a book the next natural platform to talk about AI? I'd been writing about AI in my columns for the past eight to 10 years and visiting places and conferences around the world that dealt with AI and looking at use cases and breakthroughs in AI. And when this generative AI revolution happened in the course of 2023, It just intensified all the interest in AI, everyone talking about it. And then my daughter suggested that that I write a book about it after she listened to me giving an interview, one of many, many interviews about AI earlier this year. And the moment she said it, it just made complete sense. And I immediately contacted uh, Terry Morris at Pan Macmillan, and she immediately responded. And within a week, we were strategizing the book. And it's been a a great entry into the market. I think a lot of people, I mean, we know for for a fact media have been um, begging for review copies. And um, if you haven't got your copy as yet, I seriously suggest you get your hands on on a copy of The Hitchhiker's Guide to AI. What delightful but unexpected fact did you uncover during your research process? The one thing that I always knew in the background, but I didn't realize the extent of it was how much was happening in AI across the African continent, in South Africa specifically, but also in Kenya, for example, where there are a tremendous uh, number of exciting innovations in how AI is used. So the technology might be invented or developed in Silicon Valley, but across the African continent, people are finding innovative uses for it that we never thought of in the laboratories, the garages, and the big tech corporations of Silicon Valley. That was uh, one of the delightful discoveries. Another was learning how to play with generative AI and learning some of the secrets 
of generative AI, in particular the fact that one cannot trust AI. And we know that, but people always complain to me about AI getting the facts wrong. And a point I make in the book, and one that I learned from a fair bit of uh, research using it, is that AI cannot differentiate facts from fiction. It's designed, generative AI anyway, is designed as a language model to predict what words should follow each other, not what facts are correct. So never rely on the facts that AI presents and don't complain when it makes up facts. How has AI shown you the power of collaboration? It's been uh, quite amazing to see how platforms that are developed anywhere in the world and made public at uh, any given time suddenly become available across almost any platform, whether it's on my cell phone, whether it's on my computer um, or any other device. And that then in turn has enabled us within my organization, within Worldwide Works and our online magazine Gadget to explore the uses of AI in a wonderfully collaborative fashion. So between myself and my team that manages the gadget content that uh, looks after the Worldwide Works uh, research, we've discovered great ways of using AI productively, also ethically, of course, but especially discovering how it can be used as a tool for productivity in everyday working environment. Do you think there can sometimes be a blur that AI acts like an oracle of sorts, that people expect AI to have all the answers? Very much so, because Generative AI is so powerful in generating uh, content, people begin to think that they can use that content as original content or as reliable content, and you just cannot. Any, As I said before, any fact that AI produces has to be fact-checked, and in uh, that sense, you simply cannot regard AI content uh, generation as being anything close to an oracle of truth or anything like that. So you have to use AI as a tool to improve your content, to check your content in terms of grammatical rules and spelling and the like, but certainly not for facts and information. You can use it to search for and to contextualize and categorize information that's fairly generic, but again, Everything it tells you that looks like a fact must be double-checked. I think a lot of us um, that are on these social media platforms, especially like TikTok, there's these built-in AI scanner features that are like creating these other pictures of people and showing you as a baby and showing you as an old person. And it is becoming like this almost projection of past and present and future. But one of the mediums that I've seen, uh, I think, go way back in the whole AI revolution has to be through movies. And on a more fun note, many movies have taken liberty when forecasting the AI apocalypse. The latest being Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which centers on an AI entity that uses its target's intuition as its host. What would you say are the movies that made you chuckle or think good storyline, just a tad far-fetched? The one that stands out is Lawnmower Man, which uh, told the story of someone who was fairly simple-minded, who becomes enhanced and then eventually becomes interconnected with the digital systems of the world. At that stage, the telephone uh, system, which is quite an anachronism because you have this guy invading the networks of the world through the old-fashioned, what they called POTS, the plain old telephone uh, system. And I guess it's a spoiler alert now, so don't listen to the next 10 seconds, but in effect, he in inhabits the entire world's phone systems and it essentially controls the computer systems of the world as a digital electronic entity. Now, even AI, as we know today, uh, is clearly so fragmented that we're not going to have that kind of uh, global overlord, overarching AI entity that controls all other AIs. 
Rather, as we can already see emerging, we're going to have dozens of AIs in the same way that we have dozens of uh, phone brands. Maybe half a dozen of those are major brands, but there isn't one controlling device. Apple would like to think there is, but it certainly isn't. And same with uh, the, the Internet, for example. While there is one global Internet, the very term Internet comes from Internetworks, and it's really a network of networks. And on the internet, you have numerous tools, sites, and technologies that one can access. There isn't one thing that is uh, the internet. Email is one form of the internet. The web is one form of the internet. Apps are a form of the internet, but there isn't one internet. And in the same way, there won't be one AI. So that's why the science fiction apocalyptic visions of one AI uh, tend to be very wrong. But when you look at more traditional science fiction, you see wonderful representations of AI that speak sometimes to a post-apocalyptic future, sometimes to a very high-tech future, and some of those are quite dystopian. But the best of those stories always have different kinds of AI um, I think it's uh, Ian Banks who has this um, idea of a, a culture that uses AI and every spaceship is piloted by AI, for example, and the spaceships themselves become sentient in a way. But each spaceship is a separate sentient being. It's not one overarching AI intelligence of the kind that the apocalyptic visions tend to focus on. Thank you so much for your time, Arthur. The Hitchhiker's Guide to AI is out now both online and in all bookstores. If you're in Cape Town on Wednesday, the 24th of January, join Arthur in conversation with venture capitalist and banking pioneer Michael Jordan from 6.30 for a riveting AI discussion. See you there. A huge thank you to the Pan Macmillan team. As I mentioned, and as you could hear there, they really do publish a very wide range of local and international fiction and nonfiction for all kinds of readers. There will be something here for everybody. Please do seek them out on social media. They're always sharing great new launches, giveaways, and all sorts of other exciting things on their social media channels. I just wanted to add a note here. I heard that Shakti mentioned the launch of the Arthur Goldstuck book that we were just listening about. And I want to add and let you know that that launch is being held at the exclusive books at the V&A Waterfront in Cape Town. That is said to be a fantastic event. It's going to be super interesting, super well attended. If you're in the area and AI interests you, uh, it should interest us all. I think it's going to play a bigger and bigger role in our lives. Uh, this is an event that I can highly recommend. Hopefully, I'll see you there. You tune into Book Choice, Publishers Choice on Fine Music Radio. And before we head into our last segment with the ever-wonderful Butcher Bricker, how about one more track? What did they say? Play it again, Sam. This one is Meadowlands by Umoja.
Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. You're tuned into our final segments of the show, and this is where we chat to South Africa's biggest, most popular, most favorite bookseller exclusive books. Batya Bricker joins us. Batya is the manager of books and brands at Exclusive Books. This is another massive job. Um, and as I mentioned before, Batya and I have quite similar tastes in books, so we're always messaging each other and saying, have you tried this or have you tried that? And I do look forward to her segment, so I keep a pen and paper handy so I can write down any titles she mentions that I haven't read yet or that I haven't heard of yet. I'm always super excited to hear what Batya's got to say about books. Welcome to the show, Batya. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you all. I'm Batya Bricker, and this is the Exclusive Books feature on Fine Music Radio. Before we start on 2024, let's talk a little about the end of 2023. For me, December is catch-up time, a gap to pick up the phone to the various relatives I've lost touch with during the year, a nice stretch of time to try out that delicious but complicated recipe, and of course, curling up with books that sounded wonderful at the time, but were just too far down the to-read pile to get any airtime during the year. I did indeed work my way through a host of books, but my absolute favorite of these was this. Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. What a delight. Remarkably Bright Creatures is an exploration of friendship, reckoning, and hope, tracing a widow's unlikely connection with a giant Pacific octopus. Yes, I did say octopus. After Tova Sullivan's husband died, she began working the night shift at the Sowell Bay Aquarium, mopping floors and tidying up. Keeping busy has always helped her cope, which she's been doing since her 18-year-old son Eric mysteriously vanished on a boat in Puget Sound over 30 years ago. Tova becomes acquainted with the Curmudgeonly Marcellus, a giant Pacific octopus living at the aquarium. Marcellus knows more than anyone can imagine, but he wouldn't dream of lifting one of his eight arms for his human captors until he forms this remarkable friendship with Tova. Ever the detective, Marcellus deduces what happened the night Tova's son disappeared, and now Marcellus must use every trick in his old invertebrate body to unearth the truth for her before it's too late. In addition to the humans, the bright octopus is the most endearing and original protagonist and narrator. I actually cried after reading about the last thing he did for Tova and she for him. How many authors can make you cry over an octopus? This was a story I tried to stretch so as not to turn the last page. December is also so much about the food, well, probably too much of it. Long, lazy meals with outstanding morsels lovingly prepared is always a highlight. And that made me wish that I had the opportunity to visit Limonia, a Greek taverna owned by Costa Ayotos in the late 1990s. Instead, I had to make do with his book, but it too was a lip-smacking read, perfect for downtime. My big fat Greek taverna from Diplomacy to Uzo by Costa Ayotos is a memoir fragrant with newly cut herbs, heady aromas, and of course, the zesty signature bite of fresh lemons. In a moment of madness, Costa Ayotos, a former United Nations diplomat, quits the Joburg rat race 
Oh, don't you wish. And after a few false starts, opens a Greek taverna called Lamonia in Hout Bay. The local barflies and village idiots predict his demise in a notoriously fickle seasonal town. He's determined to prove them wrong. In this refreshingly hilarious roller coaster of a ride, Costa's fiery Greek temperament is tested by a constant stream of customers from all corners of the planet. And from what I understand, Lamonia became an institution famous the world over. This is a fun, light read from staffing, community involvement, customer comments, psychology and human nature, tantalizing Greek dishes and Greek retorts. He unpacks the life of a restaurateur. But it's also a rare, honest and funny account of a passionate man who followed his dreams, despite naysayers and fairy slayers. It certainly sparked a desire in me to pursue mine in 2024. An inspirational psychology book from 2023 that I dipped into during the year, but then stopped in December for a much longer read, was Build the Life You Want, The Art and Science of Getting Happier by Oprah Winfrey and Arthur C. Brooks. The thing that really resonated with me with this book is that it's not about how to achieve happiness, but how to be happier. With happiness such an elusive and ambiguous goal, it seemed to be that striving for happiness, i.e. happier relative to where you are now, is altogether more reasonable and achievable. Now we all know Oprah, but for those who may not know Arthur C. Brooks, he is an American author, public speaker and academic. Since 2020, he has written The Atlantic's How to Build a Life column on happiness, and he also teaches a class on the science of happiness at Harvard. In Build the Life You Want, this power duo draw on cutting-edge science and their years of helping real people translate ideas into action. With insight, compassion, and hope, Brooks and Winfrey recommend practical, research-based practices to build the four pillars of family, friendship, work, and faith. And along the way, they share hard-earned wisdom from their own lives and careers, as well as the witness of regular peoples, people whose lives are joyful despite setbacks and hardship. One of the super useful takeouts from this book includes the idea that emotions are simply alerts. They aren't necessarily reality, or problems that you have to fix. You can simply listen to the alert. You can see what it's trying to say. Maybe even just let it pass. This lesson and others are going to see me well into 2024. Another book about humans and how our thoughts work is Clear Thinking by Shane Parrish. Shane Parrish is the founder, curator, and wisdom seeker behind Farnham Street, what started as a personal blog where Shane could explore what others have discovered about decision-making, purposeful living, and how the world works, quickly blossomed into one of the fastest-growing websites in the world. It now has over 600,000 subscribers, consistently sold-out workshops, and over 10 million podcast downloads. Farnham Street has become the go-to resource that CEOs, athletes, professional coaches and entrepreneurs rely on to find a signal in a world of noise. Few things will change your trajectory in life or business as much as learning to think clearly. Yet few of us recognize opportunities to think in the first place. You might believe you're thinking clearly in the moments that matter most, but in all likelihood, when the pressure's on, you won't be thinking at all. Most of the time, we are just running on autopilot and your subsequent actions will inevitably move you further from the results you ultimately seek. Love, belonging, success, wealth, victory. According to Farnham Street founder Shane Parrish, we must get better at recognizing opportunities for what they are and deploying our cognitive abilities in order to achieve the life we want. Clear thinking gives you those tools through stories mental models, and more. Parrish offers the missing link between behavioral science and real-life outcomes. The result is a must-have manual for optimizing decision-making, 
gaining competitive advantage and living a more intentional life. What you'll read in this book will not be 100% new, nor will it switch your brain gears into something completely different, but it is providing you with named mechanisms that you can follow and enforce, which will help you long term. What these two books illustrate most is that reading can really be a superpower for adults and for kids. The launch of the Exclusive Books campaign at the start of last year, called Reading is My Superpower, was met with such enthusiasm by both customers and booksellers alike that we've installed the campaign as an annual January event across all stores. Last year, after launching Reading is My Superpower, we received an encouraging feedback email from a grateful father. Finally, my child feels seen, he wrote. Together with a brilliant range of dictionaries perfect for back to school, workbooks and study guides, we've created a new range of the super popular limited edition Reading is My Superpower School Stationery, consisting of rulers, pencils and pencil bags. Look out for the full selection in the front of the stores during January. But whether you are back to school, back to work or back to the work, There is a brilliant wide range of books that offer a toolkit to a smorgasbord of skills and insights to set you well up for the year. The best and most assured investment remains the best, the the investment in yourself. And you can find invaluable pointers on the shelves of exclusive books. Whoa, thanks so much, Bacha. There's a lot there that I hadn't heard about and that I'm really keen to look into. And you probably know this about exclusive books, dear listener, but if the book you seek does truly exist, you'll find it at any of the exclusive books branches around the country. They also live online at exclusivebooks.com. As a note, if you've missed any of the titles on today's show, or if something sounded interesting to you, but you don't quite remember what it was called or who the author was, This show appears as a podcast on our website, fmr.co.za. Or, of course, you can download the FMR app and you can listen to the podcast of today's show there as well. And that kind of brings us to the end of our show today. We've got a little more music. And as I mentioned that, let me thank Mzu Maketa for compiling all our music tracks for today's show. Mzu also compiles the entire show. So he's another one with a very big job. Thank you, Mzu. We love your work and we can't wait to work with you for another year. I'd also like to thank all our publishers, Jonathan Ball Publishing Team, the Penguin Random House Publishing Team, the Pan Macmillan Publishing Team, and of course, our favorite bookseller, Exclusive Books. Thank you all for joining us on today's show. And a special shout out to all the authors who join us on the show throughout the year to be interviewed and tell us what they're writing. As a note, next time you visit your local Exclusive Books, Be sure to take a close look at the South African section. We really are publishing some exceptional work right now. You know, publishing lists have grown smaller over the last couple of years, uh, particularly post-COVID. And so publishers are having to be very, very careful about what they publish. And they have to think twice about all of it, which means they're cherry-picking the very best of the manuscripts that land on their desk. There's no doubt that you will absolutely be able to find an exceptional South African title that will whet your appetite as long as you look for it. And so that's me. And that's our very first show wrapped up for the year. We're going to play out with Street Beat by David Hewitt. And I can't wait to chat to you again in two weeks time with our next book choice show. Until then, happy reading.